The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you will now look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Um, this is how, this is the word of God, inspired and errant, infallible, read in your hearing. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they, sh- that they be found faithful. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By God's grace and mercy, may this his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Now listen, if you've got your EMC card, would you hold it in your hands just for a moment? I want to um, just say a couple of thoughts before we go into this text, and then we have a time to make our commitment at the conclusion of the service. But before I do that, let me do it this way and ask you to kind of hang with me on this for a few moments. Um, I am entering into or somewhere around my 22nd year here. It just seems like yesterday. And I know I look younger than when I first came. I'm well aware of that. And, uh, but, um, you know, it was not an easy decision. Uh, in fact, I, I, um, turned down the privilege a number of times and some people ask me why. Well, the reason why there were some daunting things about coming here, uh, in 1999 as senior pastor, second senior pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Um, and a number of daunting things that caused the original, uh, no. Um, but some of those daunting things actually became the reason for yes. Um, there are a number of them. Um, I'll give you one. Um, so I remember thinking and talking to Cindy, okay, go to Briarwood. Uh, who has this vivacious pastor's wife whose fingerprints are everywhere. Who has a son who will control the sound system when I'm preaching. Who has a daughter who is married to a guy that is their premier church planter. Who has another daughter that pretty much can be found anywhere her mother is not and also where her mother is, vivaciously leading dramatic movements throughout the church. And a, another son-in-law that's an elder who will be deciding how long I'll stay there. And, um, and then I follow St. Frank, <laughs> and 40 years, founding pastor, mentor, um, father in the faith, and, um, you know, following him. I remember saying that and saying, now, who is going to do that? And I remember saying, as I was doing that with my accountability group, Sandy Wilson looked at me and said, well, Harry, only a fool would do that. And I think you're the most qualified guy in the PCA. <laughs> so, 
So anyway, but, but there were a couple of other daunting things. One of them is I knew and had learned from Briarwood that we gave 50% of our, of the giving of God's people for church planting, church, uh, revi- church planting and revitalization, evangelism, missions, benevolence, and mercy. In other words, 50 cents out of every dollar left here. Now, at Briarwood, we were at 30, I mean, at, Briar, at Christ's Covenant, we were at 33%. That was daunting enough for me. And uh, now I was coming where it was 50%. Then, um, then I, um, and then I found out that we had a every member canvas or every, now we call it every member commitment season. And we had not done that at Christ's covenant. So that was new and challenging to me as well. I cannot tell you what those two things have meant to me in my life. That commitment that 50 cents out of every dollar leaves here. Uh, mercy, benevolence, all of that, but per- particularly you see it in church planning. Do you all realize, I, I think I got the figures right, it, as of this next session meeting, we will be planting, we are right now planting 18 churches in North America and 25 churches internationally. That's what we're getting the opportunity to do through the every member commitment and, and then the international through faith promise giving. And, um, and then I can't even go into uh, some of the other things that are happening. It is so exciting. It is so encouraging. It is so overwhelming that I have the privilege to be a part of that uh, and that we have the privilege to walk through that. Um, so th- that's one of the things that I would say. Secondly, as I read that text this morning, I'm sure some of you were saying, oh, I remember that. Two years ago, we read that text and you started a series of sermons called Lifestyle Stewardship Found Faithful. Certainly you remembered that, didn't you? You remembered that just like it was yesterday. Well, I remember it. I remember working on the series of sermons. I remember getting started this time two years ago, then with Ernest on the first Sunday of January, and then moving all the way up to the missions conference, and then saying, I'm going to take a break for our missions conference, and after the missions conference, I'm coming back to finish the series on 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Stewards Found Faithful, Lifestyle Stewardship Found Faithful. But something interesting happened right after the missions conference. COVID-19. And so I'll just confess to you, I'm sure incompetently, uh, imperfectly, ever since then as a pastor, I have felt the, the challenge to address the preaching of God's word, trying to help people through this season uh, in the culture that has certainly invaded and presented itself to the church. How that we would think through these last months biblically, uh, not politically, not sociologically, but to think biblically through it and respond in a way that would honor Christ, as I have tried to say, faithfully without fear, pa- prudent without panic, and um, self-righteous, not self-righteously, but righteously, godly in this present age, and trusting God without tempting God. And trying to do that, I'm sure that's been important, but there was a reason why in the midst of that series, I did the series on the Apostles' Creed. There's a reason why we went to that series on um, the 
intermediate state. What happens when you die? Uh, that we went through all of those things for a very specific reason. And there was a clear reason why we went to that monumental, majestic text of Scripture of the Gospel of God called the Book of Romans, which we will be going back to after we go into the next year. So that's what has been done. So now, but this becomes the opportunity for me to come back to this thematic commitment to lifestyle stewardship that we have had as we get to this every commitment uh, Sunday and um, and this season in the life of our church. And you're about to find out why uh, in particular. This whole thing of stewardship. Now let me just share something. I want you to get this as clearly as I can say this and carefully as I can say this. Personally, the doctrine of stewardship has been of inestimable value, the biblical doctrine of stewardship in my personal life. And I will tell you why. I think personally and pastorally, there is no other doctrine in Scripture that is more helpful, that is more insightful, and that is more reliable for a Christian to find out where they are in relationship to Christ and the gospel than the doctrine of stewardship. The doctrine of stewardship, biblical doctrine of stewardship, is helpful, it's insightful, and it's reliable. It gives you clearly what has your heart. It displays for us, if we look in the mirror, It displays for us where our heart is, where our life is, where Christ is in our life, where we are with Christ. And it has all kinds of measurements out there for us. I just need to look at my calendar. I just need to look at my checkbook. I just need to look at what brings me joy in life. That begins to tell me where my heart is. You know, when I first became a Christian, the first two years of my life, uh, as, um, and it, which coincided with my first two years of married life, the first two years of my life were spent uh, trying to catch up with Cindy. <laughs> She's so far ahead of me. <laughs> So I was just trying to catch up with her biblically, theologically, uh, so many different ways. But one of the areas was stewardship. That was one of the areas that just really had laid hold of my heart that I saw myself so far, so far short. So, um, but I was trying to catch up with her. And every once in a while I said, you know, I'd like to kind of get ahead of her. So you know what I found out? Serious Christians in 1970. Serious Christians in 1970 and 71. I mean, really serious Christians got a life verse. Did you know that? Have you got a life verse? Yeah, Cindy said yes. I, th- I knew, I knew, she, yeah, I found that out. So I, I said, you know what? I'm going to get a life verse. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get ahead of her. And so while we were in Greenville, North Carolina, I landed on my life first. I came to my life first. Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first his kingdom. 
and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. So I remember we got home from, I got home from class that day and, uh, I was going to tell her that night at family devotions, but I said, no, I got to get, I'm going to get ahead of this. So I said, as we got back that afternoon, I said to her, I said, Hey, Cindy, she said, what? And I said, I got a life first. She said, wonderful. I said, do you have a life first? Oh yeah. Well, so much. Well, here's my next thing. If I couldn't beat her getting a life first, my life first was going to be better than her life first. And I said, well, can I tell you my life first? She said, what? I said, it's Matthew 6, 33. And by the way, it's always good to memorize your life first. So I, I said, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. She said, that is a great life first. I said, well, what is your life first? So she opened up her Bible, Matthew six thirty three was her life first. Can you believe that? She copied me and didn't even know it was my life first. But then I found out something else about my life verse. My life verse is found in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of it, which is the constitution of the kingdom of God, how we live in the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. We're in the now, we're in the kingdom, but not yet in its fullness because we're still in the kingdoms of this world. That's where we are right now. So how do you live for the kingdom of God as his people, as ambassadors for Christ, as royal ambassadors for Christ, how do you do that while you're in the kingdoms of this world? Well, I found out you get to Matthew 6, 33 from some verses right in front of it. And it starts like this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I mean, I'm sorry. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth destroys, rust corrupts, and thieves break in and steal. But, there's that wonderful Christian word, but, lay up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, where you put your treasures not only indicates your heart, It also instructs your heart. And so I realize there are two life views and stewardship reveals which one's running our life. We either see life and the resources as all about us or him. That's what we see. The key phrase, listen, listen, I understand there's nothing wrong with an IRA. There's nothing wrong with a retirement account. The point is, what are you doing with your resources and what is your point of reference? What is your focus? What is your fixed point? Here's what he says don't do. Don't lay up for yourself. It's not about you and me. Lay up our treasures in heaven. In other words, instead of taking the things of this world 
orient your life using them for yourself, here's what you do. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And God will not be a debtor to any man. All these things will be added to you. Well, it was that whole dynamic that took hold of my life. Maybe since I'm reminiscing a little bit here, maybe I could take you back to 2000. I think it was 2006, a series of sermons that I'm sure you all that were here still remember vividly in your mind. It was a series called the five ships of the Christian Armada. Worship. Leadership, fellowship, discipleship, that these, these dynamics of the Christian life, worship, leadership, fellowship, discipleship, stewardship, how crucial it is in our life. Well, what, how do you embrace stewardship as a lifestyle. Now, if you could remember, I would go back. I'll just give you a little bit of a review. Look at that text in front of us uh, in First uh, Corinthians chapter four and verse one. Here's what he says. He says this. This is how one should regard us. How should we? What? How is it that Paul wanted to be identified in this world? He wanted to be not only he wanted to be identified with Christ. My identity is Christ. And when you see me, think servant. The word is doulos. It means bondservant. Think servant. When you see me, servant of Christ. Notice, Paul does not identify himself apart from Christ, but with Christ. Notice, Paul does not identify his relationship with Christ from his sins before Christ. He doesn't say, think of me as what? Um, terrorist for Christ. Christian killer for Christ. Church destroyer for Christ. No, those things that he had confessed and repented of, he left behind. Nor did he say, think of me as Pharisee for Christ. Remember, the adjective controls the noun. And so when he says, think of me, think of me as a Christian. And when you think of me as a Christian, don't put anything in front of it. When you think of me, I am a Christian. For to me, to live is Christ. I don't identify with my sins. And, and folks, I don't know about you, but as I grew in grace and as I've been growing in grace, whenever God shows me a sin and convicts me of its sinfulness, the last thing I want to do is for people to identify me with that sin. I want to ask God for the grace that forgives me of that sin to help me kill that sin in thought, word, and deed. And listen, I love my country. I think I've shown that to you. And I want to encourage you. I have, I'm like the reformers. Give me Scotland or I die. Give me America. I'm, I'm for that. But notice Paul doesn't say, when you regard me, think of me as a Jewish Christian. No, his life is in Christ. 
Christ is his life. He's identified with Christ. And when you think of me, what is my calling? My calling is servant. I am a servant of Christ. Is he a saint for Christ? Yes. But he says, when you see me, I want you to see someone who out of love is there to serve Christ because this Christ has served me. I love him because he first loved me. And when he loved me, he set me free so that now it's no longer about me. We don't lay up things for myself. Now I'm a servant of Christ. Now, how do you, what is your vocation, Mr. Servant for Christ? I'm a steward. Now, Paul's stewardship was built around his calling as an apostle. He had been entrusted with divine revelation, the mysteries of God. He was part of giving us the fulfillment of God's word. He not only would preach and disciple and all of those other things, but he would also have his particular gift his gift that he has of uh, being an apostle and everything related to it. So I am a steward, he says. That's what we are. We are stewards in our servanthood. Now, can I give you all, if, if you'll help me put this all this stuff together for a moment. How do you know if you're making progress that Christ is your life and you are a servant of Christ and you're living that out as a steward. Can I tell you how? Here's what there will be a verbal giveaway. There will be a vocabulary indicator. You quit referring to anything as yours. Stewards own nothing. They're owned. Servants own nothing. They're owned. We have been bought with a price. And it is no longer we who live, but Christ that lives in us. Now, the mind is replaced by his. It's not my business. That's his. I know Frank would be the first one to tell you. We don't think of Briarwood as our church. It's his. We're just servants. Stewards, we've been given gifts. That's what we are. This is, this, I don't own Cindy. I have been granted the privilege to serve Christ as her husband. My children aren't mine, they're his. Our house isn't ours, it's his. There's your giveaway as to your progress in discipleship. The giveaway, I want you, I, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but I don't know any other place. I, I've just, I've got to do it because of where I am right now. We're going into next year. Stewardship's going to stay with us, but we're bringing a focus. Two years ago, when I started 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I asked you, and I know all of you remember this from two years ago, so please forgive me for telling you again, but just in case you forgot. I said, there's three ways I want you to think of stewardship. Be a steward of your relationships for Christ. Be a steward of your responsibilities for Christ. And be a steward of your resources for Christ. 
Now, this morning, we're going to take a few moments on three of those resources. Time, talents, treasure. People have been doing it for a long time. I can't improve on it. But, see, I want you to think bigger on stewardship. I want to be a Christ-honoring servant who stewards my responsibilities in life. Harry, where do I start there? Can I give you a help? Every place you took a vow before God, prioritize that. For me, I took an ordination vow. We took church membership vows. You take baptismal vows. Wherever you take a sacred oath, that is a priority in responsibilities and relationships. A steward of responsibilities, a steward of relationships. I took vows in my marriage. That becomes a stewarding responsibility and a stewarding relationship. Then I want to be a steward of my resources. This today, all of us got the same twelve, all of us got the same 24 hours in this day. Now what are we going to do with it? Will we steward it as servants of Christ? Or will we use it for ourselves? So, but now what about talents? Talents, there are two types of talents you have. You've got physical talents. You'll note that on your card, there's a place for time, there's a place for talents, and there's a place for the treasure. Where I want to do this coming year, under the approval of the sessions, is, of our session, is to do a deep dive on talents. One part of it. Not so much your physical and mental talents that you have by virtue of creation. I want to do a deep dive with you on something every single one of you have that is unique. Every single one of you have something that's unique. You just confessed it a few moments ago from 1 Peter chapter 4. Be stewards of the gifts that have been given to you in God's varied grace. God's grace has uniquely fashioned a spiritual gift for every single one of you. So next year, our focus in lifestyle stewardship is zeroing in on spiritual gifts. I want to call it right now, I want to call it 3D body life. Every, we're members of the body of Christ, right? Hello. Y'all still there? I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to quit early, so hang with me, all right? So, are you, so we're all, every one of us are members of the body of Christ. Every one of us have a place that is non-duplicated by anyone else. You have a unique, sovereignly designed gift. Nobody else has, and every one of you are important. So what I want to do is 3D body life in spiritual gifts. I want us to discover our spiritual gift. I want us to take steps to start developing our spiritual gifts. And then number three, start deploying your spiritual gift. Either in ministry from Briarwood outside or ministries within. I don't know where you're, that'll depend on your gifts. 
So that's where we're going to be throughout the entire year. In fact, I'll go further. Right starting in January, we're going to go to God's Word to discover, develop, and deploy. So there are going to be, uh, there are going to be six passages of scripture I want you to be thinking about. Have y'all ever heard of the parable of the talents? We're going there. Have y'all ever heard of the parable of the minus? It's in Luke. Talents, Matthew. Minus Luke. I know why you stumbled. Because we don't even know what a mina is. But you're going to find out what a mina is to understand why that's there. And it's not the same parable as the talents, although some people think so. And then number three, we're going to go to, well, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever, how many I'm going to do. But there's four more texts we're going to. First Peter 4, 7 through 11. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12. Those are going to be the key texts for spiritual gifts as the two texts on stewardship set us up to go there. So that's where we're headed next year, that we can be, we can understand that. Now, can I tell you why that's very important to me? That's very important to me because, now listen to this, I want you to know there is a method to the madness or madness to the method. I'm not sure which it is, but here's the reason. You can't, you can't discover, develop and deploy your spiritual gifts without getting committed to discipleship. You've got to get into not only large group preaching triggered discipleship, but small group life on life discipleship. So this has got to filter down into the communities and into the small groups. Because, see, I know that this will enhance our disciple making, which is what the church is called to do, make disciples until Jesus comes again. This has got to, this has got to be done because there's no way you can develop, discover, develop and deploy your gifts without discipleship taking place within our lives and in our ministries. So that's where we're headed. But just a couple of final thoughts for today about basic principles of, of uh, discipleship. I mean, basic principles of stewardship, of time, talents, and treasure. Well, here's the first thing. Your, I've already mentioned it to you. Here's the first thing. Your identification is Christ. You are in, you are in Christ. Christ is in you. And you want people to see you as a servant. You carry that servanthood out through being a steward. We own nothing. He owns everything because he owns us. And we have a metric to measure. We have an objective to achieve as servant stewards. What is our objective? We want to be found Faithful. Now look, found is out there in the future when Paul writes. What is he anticipating? He's anticipating the coming of Christ. When we all appear at the judgment seat, and as believers, we stand at the judgment seat with a stewardship judgment. And what do we want to be found? What do we want our judge, who is also our Savior, who already has given us the verdict there, innocent, justified? Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But what about the evaluation of our stewardship? 
What is it that you, you can see what Paul is doing here. He's giving you, he's sending you back to Jesus. When Jesus brings you to the stewardship judgment, he says that in that day, his people, he, they desire to hear what phrase, what is it we want to hear on that day? When we stand before him as believers, justified by his blood, clothed with his righteousness, what is it we want to hear on our stewardship evaluation? You've, you, I hear you say it all the time. You know what it is. Well done. Good and faithful. You see him calling on that? We want to be found faithful. Well done. I mean, let me ask you. If you're walking around the school where your child goes to school and your child's on the playground and talking with some friends, they don't know you're there, you're standing around the corner, and one of the friends says to your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, hey, what kind of daddy do you have? What kind of mama you got? How about your granddaddy? What do you want him to hear? What do you want to hear him say? How about if they heard him say, eh, mediocre. You want him to hear, oh man, my daddy. Oh, my mother. Now, I understand you don't highly anticipate it till years later. But what you want to hear, what is it we want to hear our father say? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Harry, I haven't done well. Well, let's start today. How can I be a good steward of my time? How can I be a good steward of my talents? How can I be a good steward of these resources, these treasures God's given to me? Let me just give you three takeaways. Here's your three takeaways. Number one is this. I call it the principle of maximizing. I actually called it maximization. But somebody in the lobby told me that wasn't a good, that wasn't a word. But that's never stopped me before. The principle of maximization. How do you maximize your stewardship? Can I tell you how? Gospel discipleship. That's how. When the gospel gets hold of your heart, your stewardship flourishes. Until, when you get, when you know what it means to be saved by Christ in the relentless, unstoppable, irresistible love of Christ, then you love Him. And when you love Him, you keep His commandments. There is, that's what, what, can I tell you what doesn't maximize stewardship? Guilt. Now I've got some good guilt illustrations. But here's what I know. Guilt always minimizes. People do just enough to shut the preacher up. And, um, and I'm fine for guilt. Guilt gets our attention. I think it does have a purpose, but it's not motivation. Maximizing stewardship comes when you see the love of Christ for you who gave everything. He didn't sing surrender all. He surrendered all to save you and me. All to him I owe. I praise his name for what he's done, and I know it is grasping the gospel. In fact, I believe stewardship is a good metric to tell, tell, to tell ourselves how much we understand the gospel. 
in terms of how we are living with our time, talents, and treasure. So to maximize, you want to be a product of life. The lifestyle stewardship is the result of being laid hold of and discipled by the gospel of saving grace in Christ. You see, you realize I am not my own. Not only do I not own anything, I'm not my own. I am his. He is mine. Everything that I have is from him. I am what I am by the grace of God. So if I own, I, if I am not my own, but he owns me, I've been bought with a price, glorify God in your body, then how in the world can I treat the things he's entrusted to me as if I own them? I just need to go to his word and be led by his spirit as to how to deal with them rightly. Secondly, Maturation, the principle of maturation. God's given you some excellent instruments to help you maximize. These are beginning points. These are what I call divinely designed training wheels of stewardship. What's a divinely designed training wheel for the stewardship of time? Can I give you what it is? It's the Lord's Day. I didn't make man for the Sabbath. I made Sabbath for the man. Why? It sets the template for every day. The Lord's Day sets the foundation and the capitalization and the motivation for every day. Stewardship is worship. And the Lord's Day helps me govern every day. Uh, by the way, the reverse is true. If I can't get the Lord's Day right, everything else is going to be hit and miss. But the Lord's Day becomes that template, that's, a, that's an asset he's given to you. Let me give you a second asset for your talents, is the cultivation of joy. Do you know when you begin to steward your spiritual gifts? I mean, folks, I just get so excited thinking about next year, discovering, developing, and deploying, because here's what I know is going to happen, your joy. You know what you're going to find out? When I find my, when I begin to see my spiritual gift, develop it, discover it, develop it, and deploy it, you know what happens? You, you and I are going to find out to another whole level, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more joyful to minister than to be ministered to. That doesn't mean it's not joy to have ministry in my life. Praise God. But what I really begin to get the joy is when I begin to use the gift God's given me to serve Him in the lives of others. Let me give you a third help. There, I gave you just a little help to get started in maturation on time, stewardship of time. It's the Lord's Day. A little bit on, on maturation of your spiritual gifts, that is cultivating joy that comes from giving, in a lifestyle of giving, uh, of your gifts and your abilities in the lives of others. But let me give you a third one. What about, what about the, uh, what about the finances? It's simple. Tithe. The tithe. The tithe is the training wheels. It's not the pinnacle. It's the training wheels to get to get us started. In fact, he says, do not rob me. See, here's your first principle. It's not mine. The tithe's not mine. Listen to Bruce. Let's give God when at that moment in the worship service. Let's bring. To, we're not going to rob God. We're going to bring into the storehouse. We're going to bring in the context of worship. We're going to bring God's tithe and our offerings. This is his, and so he's teaching me that the tithe is his, setting up the training wheels where I can understand 
I live with everything else to me as if it's his. How would he have me deal with the other 90%? And if I can't get the tithe right, I know people say, well, Pastor, when I make a little bit more more money, I'll start. No, you won't. I'm a living proof of that. Faith, and listen, if you can't be faithful in little, you won't be faithful in much. You'll just have more reasons not to be. Found faithful with the tithe begins to set it up for everything else and how to use the financial resources, a house, a home, a car, uh, the bank account, the retirement account. How do I use all of that in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that's consistent with his word? Let me give you the third takeaway, and then we'll close in prayer. Here's the third takeaway. The third takeaway is this. Avoid minimization. Here's the tendency. We get the training wheels and we think that's the end instead of the beginning. I'm a 10% Christian. God has 10%, but the other 90 is mine. No, no. The tithe was set up to teach the 90 what to do with the 90%. The Lord's Day was there to teach you what to do with the other six. Those are not the, that's not where we stop. That's where we start. Those are the training wheels. Maximization, you're motivated by the love of God through the gospel of Christ. Maturation, you take advantage of the godly designed instruments to help you develop as a steward in time, talents, and treasure. Avoid minimalization by not stopping at the training wheels. That you have a glorious movement in your life that's growing year by year by year by year. I'll just simply remember, if, if we understand this, stewards own nothing. And the key to surrendering all is to surrender yourself. We'll never surrender all till we've surrendered ourselves. I surrender all. I love the verse. I love it. We sing it all the time growing up. I surrender all. But here's what I've come to know. I won't surrender all. And I haven't surrendered anything until I surrender to him. Maybe you're here today and you haven't surrendered yet. To the one who surrendered everything to go to the cross and laid it aside to save you from your sins. There will be some people up here afterwards if you'd like to pray with them to commit your life to Christ. But for his people now who have surrendered to him, how is God leading you in this season as we grow in the grace of stewardship? Getting insights where we are in our life. Growing by God's grace. Would you take that card out? I know you brought it and you have it available. And as Bruce said, we're going to give you a moment to come and bring it, place it in the boxes, not the offering plates. That was earlier, the offering, but in those boxes. And if you'll come and place it there. But before we do that, I want you to not only consecrate it in prayer, I want you to consecrate yourself. So if you'll take it, place it in your hands. And join me in prayer, would you? So, Father, I love your word. I love to sing your word. 
And I, I love the truth of your word when it's read, preached, and sung. And has there ever been anything? Well, I don't, I'm sure there has been, but how we love that truth. Little is much when God is in it. We see what you've done, you did with an alabaster vial. We see what you've done in the salvation of a tax collector. We see what you've done with fishes and loaves. So, Father, we are a very ordinary people. We live in an ordinary place as much as we love it. But we serve a God who is glorious and great. And you delight to do extraordinary things through ordinary people in ordinary places as they're found faithful. Servants and stewards who belong to Christ. And everything they have, they know, is Christ. So God, what these brothers and sisters now place, we place with anticipation of what you're going to do in it, do with it at Briarwood, in Birmingham, Alabama, North America, and the world. And we rejoice in the anticipation of it. And even now, would you begin to fill your people with joy? Oh, the glory of stewardship and blessing that comes with giving. It's even greater than receiving. So we who have received much now give what you have entrusted to us. Looking forward to what you will do as you indwell it. And as you use it, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.